the Raising the Bar podcast, brought to you by the Association of Grazing Students. Welcome to the Raising the Bar podcast, where we speak with students, barristers, King's Council and judges from Gray's Inn about their journeys to the bar, with the aim of supporting students and aspiring barristers. This year, Raising the Bar recognises the anniversary of 100 years of women at the bar and shines a light on stories of impact, change and leadership in all its forms. I'm your host for season five, Nora Nanayakara, a student member of Gray's Inn and a Baroness Hale Scholar. I hope our conversation and guests' advice help you on your journey to the bar to explore how Gray's Inn can help you to achieve your potential. Welcome. Today we're recording a special episode for residential scholarship applicants. Gray's Inn offers a number of bar scholars the opportunity to live in the inn while studying. The inn allocates residential scholarships to those applicants awarded a bar scholarship who best meet the residential criteria. These are distinct from the bar scholarship merit criteria and are tested at interview. To help you prepare for your residential scholarship interview, I'm joined by current residential scholar Christian and have also gathered some tips and advice from Matty and CK. Welcome, Christian. Would you like to introduce yourself, please? Thank you, Nora. I'm Christian Barrow, a current residential scholar living here in Gray's Inn and studying at the University of Law. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about why you chose Gray's Inn, Christian? I chose Gray's Inn for two main reasons. Uh, one was having spoken to friends from a number of inns, the only person who really impressed on me a sense that their inn was was unique and, and had some distinct positives was a, was a, a current Grays member who mentioned the fact that Grays was a bit smaller and a bit more collegiate, uh, and that appealed to me. And the second reason was the availability of residential scholarships, which I've been fortunate enough to, to benefit from. Uh, which is uh, unique to Grays for bar students. So it was those two reasons, really. That's great. I, my trigger event for joining Grays was the University Advocacy Day back in 2021. Um, and I just really enjoyed being here in a way that I hadn't when I had done the open days for other inns. And at the end of the evening, some of the residential scholars came downstairs to join the advocacy day and mingle with the prospective students. And I just thought that was such a such a nice way to see and hear what life at the inn is really like. So um, perhaps we could talk a little bit about your application for the Bar Scholarship. Could you tell us maybe how you approached putting your application together? The academic scholarships for the Bar course are subject to a series of merit assessment criteria. Unfortunately, the, the process and the substance of those is, is very transparent. So it's available on the Grays Inn website. And that really was my jumping off point. When you click on the scholarships link, it offers you the drop down to see what it is you're going to be tested on. Uh, there are five uh, assessment criteria. And the way I approached uh, applying for a scholarship was really seeing how I could best meet those five criteria in terms of the professional and academic experiences I've already had and what I could do between now and the end of the application process to sort of beef up my CV uh, and meet more of those. So it was an exercise really in firstly breaking down what each of the, the criteria are. And if I just mention them briefly, they are academic ability, advocacy, 
drive and determination, problem solving and motivation to succeed. And it required me to do a little bit of brainstorming. What experiences have I've got? Which of those fit into those criteria? And how can I explain why an experience I've had demonstrates that I have, for example, drive and determination to, uh, you know, to practice at the bar or how I'm a, an effective advocate either in, in written or oral form. So the transparency of the process means that preparing for it can be quite straightforward. So long as you look closely at the merit assessment criteria, draft your application uh, in order to demonstrate that you can meet those criteria, it is not a box ticking exercise in that regard, but it's also not a mysterious thing. It doesn't require, require any, any wizardry or any special knowledge that's not available to anyone else. And the way I in which I went about it was, was largely pretty prosaic, just making sure I could meet those five criteria in what I was writing about myself. Thanks, Christian. And for the advocacy, did you have much advocacy experience at that point when you were putting together your application? I, I did. Everybody who, who applies for a scholarship will have different strengths and weaknesses, um, but advocacy was, was probably my greatest strength. I'd managed to, to accrue advocacy experience in a number of ways. So I have always, since, um, since secondary school, been really keen on debating uh, and done a huge amount of competitive debating, both through school and, and university, uh, and have acted as a trainer in, in schools at university levels. Um, so on the purely debating side of advocacy, there was, there was quite a lot to lean on. And I'd also volunteered with the Free Representation Unit, for those who don't know it, an excellent charity offering legal advocacy services in the social security and employment tribunals. Uh, I had uh, undertaken some work um, with the Free Representation Unit in the Employment Tribunal, uh, which had included um, examination in chief of, of my own clients, uh, the cross-examination of three respondent witnesses on, on one occasion, as well as closing submissions to, to a judge. So I was able to, to both write about that in my application and speak about it at the interview stage. So my advocacy experience was quite comprehensive. Um, it is not necessary to have that level of advocacy experience, of course, and you can still be very successful um, and get a very good scholarship without it. Um, but that was my experience and it was it was the real strength of my application. That sounds great. Yeah, I definitely didn't have that much advocacy experience at that time. I think my application was possibly stronger in other areas. So I had to lean quite heavily on advocacy that I would have done perhaps in my personal life. Also discursive advocacy that I had relied on at work in terms of meetings that I had chaired or um, speeches that I had made. And those I think can also be leveraged, I suppose, to fit the merit criteria. So it's really about mapping, isn't it? It's about mapping what you have got against that merit criteria and making it work for you. Yeah, I fully agree. Um... In the last month, I've been part of the, the scholarships Q&A panel, um, which we did uh, over Zoom and have subsequently had some contact from prospective scholars to the inn. Uh, and a question or a theme of a question I've had quite often is, does this thing that I've done, you know, allow me to re meet this criteria? Uh, and the answer is always, well, can you explain to me how it does? If I give one example, and I'll, I'll use it anonymously, sure, sure. Uh, so somebody somebody um, mentioned to me about how they have got into stand-up comedy to help them become, you know, a, a better orator, to be more confident speaking in front of people. And they asked me, is this a relevant thing to talk about? And my question was, well, 
can you explain how you know it demonstrates your advocacy skills or how it demonstrates your you know your drive and determination or motivation to succeed and the answer on all three was that this person could um i think a lot of people will overlook a lot of the experiences they've had because they don't look immediately legal or or legal adjacent um, but a great many things a professional uh, or even non-professional experiences where you've had to advocate on behalf of somebody or you've overcome hurdles are are often very strong pieces of evidence as regard to your your character and your competence. Absolutely. What a great example. One of the examples that I had used, I think, in, in another interview around persuading a sceptical audience was running a reading group at a school for children. And I can tell you now, when you faced down 30 sceptical faces of children who have no interest at all in reading the phonics book that you've brought with you, it really does prepare you quite well um, for developing arguments on all sorts of topics. So maybe if we turn then to the Bar Scholarship interview and the first thing, if memory serves me right, that we're asked to deal with when we move into that panel room is a legal topic and no doubt people looking forward to their interviews in the new year will be thinking, how can I prepare well for that legal topic? Do you have any advice for people listening who are trying to do that at the moment? I think there are two broad pieces of advice I'd give for, for somebody thinking about preparing themselves for, for the start of the interview, for the advocacy exercise. The first one is, within reason, being as, as widely read as you can regarding current live popular debates about the law. There are a number of sources you can, you can keep up to date uh, with those developments uh, through. Um, there are legal publications even from the fairly lowbrow like Legal Cheek, which does touch on most of these debates, through to Law Gazette, Council Magazine. I found podcasts were really helpful. I'm an, uh, an obsessive podcast listener if I'm doing the ironing or the washing <laughs> up or anything like that. I've always got a podcast on and there are a great deal of really helpful ones. So Law in Action uh, on Radio 4 is, is highly topical and will help you keep abreast of, of legal developments. Um, and there are some excellent podcasts from, obviously, Grey's Inn, um, One Crown <laughs> Office Row, uh, and a number of others. If you just type in on, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you know, law or legal, dozens of them come up. The value of keeping abreast of legal topics is that it is likely that at the start of your interview, the advocacy exercise will be on a current live legal debate. Um, and it means that even if you don't have necessarily a huge amount of detail on it you'll have an understanding of sort of what the arguments are on either side or at least an understanding of of what the problem is that's trying to be solved and that can help you in your preparation so the first point is trying to keep abreast of, of current legal developments and arguments and the second point i would say is one in terms of your own preparation for the exercise itself now everybody will want to prepare in different ways uh, the way i prepared for it um, was quite methodical. Um, I asked my parents actually on on each each night of the week leading up to my interview to set me a legal topic. Now, what a good idea! Yeah, I mean, my my parents don't have much legal experience, but I sort of pointed them to a few you know newspapers or websites they could get inspiration from. And at sort of I think it was eight pm each evening, they gave me a, a sentence and asked me to argue one way or the other for it. I had fifteen minutes to prepare. And then I went and uh, sat at the foot of their bed and, and, and gave my, my couple of minutes on it. And then they asked me a few follow-up questions. 
Now, none of the topics we spoke about came up. And their judicial intervention was was maybe not that effective. <laughs> but what I learned over the process of doing this probably five or six times was how to structure my preparation time. Uh, and after three or four goes, I realized very quickly that the first most important thing to do was to read the question carefully, to tease out what it was trying to ask of me. Then if I brainstormed my ideas, I could kind of get any worries or doubts about what I was going to say out of my head. And from that point onwards, it was about building a structure. In the last couple of minutes available to me, I tried to play devil's advocate and pick holes in my own argument to strengthen it. So whilst I didn't benefit in terms of answering a question which popped up in the interview, I developed a pretty robust method of how I was going to prepare for that part of the interview itself. Um, so my second point would be using the time available before your interview to try to prepare, to develop a method, because you will be nervous when it comes to it. And having something tried and tested and structured that you can rely on in those 15 minutes beforehand will really help you uh, do your best in the interview itself. Those are great tips. I love that idea of your eight o'clock every evening um, practicing your legal topics. That's great. The other resource I think that I found useful, I thought Law and Action as well was brilliant. And of course, Joshua Rosenberg is of this parish. So we're, we're big fans here. Equally podcasts, because you can have them running in the background while you get on with other things. I used to listen to them in the car while doing the school run. So my children are now also, you know, very well aware of current, current affairs, which um, is, is fantastic. The other thing I found useful was Moral Maze. They're not legal topics per se, but they'll be topical issues in the news. And the host gathers three people who have a, a really quite a diverse range of views on the topic and they sort of battle it out. And I found that really good for sort of exercising the muscle to think about other perspectives other than my own. So those were helpful um, in advance of the legal topic. So moving on then from the Bar Scholarship interview, to the residential scholarship. So is it after you've been informed that you're awarded the Bar Scholarship that you then need to think about the residential scholarship? Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Once you have been awarded a, uh, a Bar Scholarship, you then become eligible to apply for a residential scholarship. So it's a, a two-step process uh, in that regard. You have to meet the initial hurdle of, of getting a Bar Scholarship before you can apply for a residential one. The process itself is similar in terms of there initially being a paper-based assessment uh, and then if selected, uh, an oral interview. Uh, however, what differs are the criteria on which you're assessed. So whereas the bar scholarship criteria are based around your, your abilities as an advocate and your determination to succeed, the residential scholarship criteria are based around how you'll maximize the opportunity of being a residential scholar in terms of contributing to the inn itself, maximizing the professional opportunities as a result of being in, in the heart of legal London, how your learning and development during the bar course will benefit from being so proximate to, to where you're studying and where opportunities are, uh, and finally, how uh, academically you'll thrive as a result of the opportunity. Great. And if we start with maybe the contribution to social, academic and pastoral life at Gray's Inn, what are the inn looking for from applicants under the heading of contribution? I presume they're looking for 
motivation to contribute and understanding of the kind of things that the inn does. Is that right? So yes, that's that's broadly correct. The inn are looking for an understanding of what are really the corollary duties for a residential scholar in terms of having been given this award and, and, and how they'd like to give something back to the inn, and then also an understanding of the ways in which they can do that. There are a number of ways of contributing to the inn's activities. Um, there are tours that the inn provides that you can volunteer on. There are more substantive and, and larger pieces of work you can take you can take part in, including um, Vocalize, where where members and students will go into prisons and, and, and help coach prisoners in, in debating. Um, and there are also a number of uh, social and pastoral elements to the inn, um, being part of the grazing students' body, for example, or also getting involved with the football club or, or, or miscellany to um, to have a go on, on the stage if you're that way inclined so a range of different sort of academic uh, and social ways you can you can help sort of support the life of the inn that's great now the miscellany has come up you know several times with guests it's such a feature of the Gray's Inn calendar will we be seeing you treading the boards Christian I'm afraid not <laughs> I, that's that's not part of my my skill set I'm afraid um, I'll certainly be in attendance watching and and uh, and and maybe not heckling, but, <laughs> but but getting into the swing of things. Uh, but no, that's that's not me. I'm afraid. Same here. I think I'm quite happy to sit in the audience and enjoy from afar. And vocalize, I've heard a lot about as well. I think that's such a great initiative from the inn. I think we'll have to do a separate episode on that. There's so much to talk about in terms of that program. And now learning and development, in terms of the opportunities to learn about the profession while, uh, while a residential scholar, what might applicants want to be including in their application to fulfill that requirement? There are a broad range of opportunities available to bar students and anyone considering a career at the bar, which are very proximate to the inn itself. So the way in which you can demonstrate that you'll benefit from the learning and development opportunities afforded to you as a residential scholar are really by talking about the events and things that are relevant to the type of practice or to the types of legal interests you have. So there are a number of chambers really within a stone's throw of Gray's Inn that you might want to undertake a mini pupillage with. A huge number of chambers will also have pupillage uh, events taking place throughout your first term studying the bar course. There are also other opportunities to attend uh, advocacy events. Uh, there was one I saw at Three Raymond Buildings, which is a couple of doors down from where some of the residential scholars live, um, hosting a day about advocacy and international crime, for example. So there are a real myriad of experiences available to you to help you develop as an advocate and as a potential barrister. Um, and it's up to you as an individual to demonstrate how some or, or, or many of those uh, are going to be of benefit to you if you're located in Gray's Inn and able to attend them more easily uh, and how you're going to take advantage of those opportunities to develop your skill set. A massive difference it must make to students living further afield who otherwise just wouldn't be able to justify, I presume, the expenditure required to come down to London for an evening or two evenings. And I know a lot of chambers run these events remotely now to try to improve access to them, but there's no replacement for being able to um, attend them in person easily. 
So if we move then onto the academic commitment criteria for residential scholars, expectations are clearly high. How can applicants persuade the panel that they would commit academically? Is it a matter of talking about past academic performance? Your past academic performance is really considered in the bar scholarship interview itself. Mm. So once you've been successful on that front, I think the inn are probably persuaded that you have academic potential and that you've you've demonstrated your academic acumen. Um, when it comes to the residential scholarship itself, I think academic commitment is more in relation to how the opportunity of the residential scholarship will allow you to flourish academically. Um, so from, from my perspective, it was really about proximity to where I'll be studying. If it wasn't for the opportunity of having a residential scholarship at Gray's Inn, and I was going to still study at the same campus, which is the London Bloomsbury campus of the University of Law, I would have had to have lived far further afield. My commuting time would have eaten into the time available to me to either carry on studying or to actually relax, which is an important part because the bar course is full on. And when you do get the chance to, to put your feet up and kick back, it's important too, so you don't burn out. So true. The bar course is, I think really intense. I'm at ICA, so the part one exams are coming up in a couple of weeks and I am feeling the pressure. So two more areas then for you, Christian. Um, the first is what it's like living here. Can you give us an idea of what a day in the life of a residential scholar is like? Every day is different because our timetables change. Um, based on on where and what we're going to be studying. And that really is the core of your day. If you've got classes, that will largely dictate your routine. But around that, being in the inn itself means that you're, you know, a couple of hundred yards away from a library which always has space and is very comfortable. So when it comes to studying, you're in a really great place to do that. If you have any other commitments in the evening, which are legal ones, they are likely to be on your doorstep as well. So your commuting time is is going to be pretty short and it allows you to attend those sorts of things. I'm not sure what a typical day for all of the scholars is like. Mine is usually something like I will try to get up at a reasonable hour and get myself in the library to do some, some reading and some preparation for classes if I don't have classes to attend. But if I do have classes to attend and they're usually in the morning, I'll try to use the afternoon period in the library to consolidate whatever I've learned for that day and to prepare for subsequent classes. And in terms of the community here at Gray's Inn, do you see a lot of the other residential scholars? Yes. So as well as having two flatmates who are residential scholars, there are another 11 of us. So there are 14 in total. And it is quite collegiate. We're, we're, we're mostly quite good friends, I think, um, and often rely on each other in WhatsApp groups for support and advice and understanding. Um, two of the moots I have upcoming are with other residential scholars uh, and we do have some informal social gatherings at one flat or another uh, as well as often seeing each other at different qualifying sessions and, and more formal social events put on by the inn so it is it is not like having um, colleagues so to speak living near you um, but a little closer to having having good friends in a support network we have only been together for about 10 weeks or so now, um, but we get on pretty well. Um, and it's a nice uh, environment to have people who are in some ways like-minded, all interested in being barristers or fairly academic, but actually from quite diverse and interesting backgrounds. 
That's great. So then finally, just wanted to ask for any advice or tips you'd have for listeners who are hoping to get a residential scholarship at Gray's. Any final tips for listeners who fancy a year living rent-free in the heart of legal London, mere steps from where Charles Dickens worked as a clerk in 1827. What do you say, Christian? Uh, I think the most important tip to give people um, is one I think I would derive purely from my own experience. So when I applied firstly for a bar course scholarship and then subsequently for a residential scholarship, I didn't think I was going to get either. I undertook both really for the experience of applying a year later when I thought I might have a good chance. So if people are nervous or feeling a little bit put off because a lot of people they meet sound scary and very well qualified, I'd advise them that I was in the same position and I've managed to to be successful. So don't be put off by the fact that some of these things can be a little bit intimidating. But the key in terms of the applications themselves are to start from the assessment criteria, whether that's for the Barclay Scholarship or the Residential Scholarship, and work backwards from there. Map your experiences and your abilities onto those and demonstrate every time you have the opportunity to do so, either in writing or orally, how you can meet those criteria. That really is the key. So long as you demonstrate those things, you have a good chance of being successful and receiving a scholarship. That is great advice and really encouraging. So thank you so much, Christian, for giving up your time today to talk to us about your time as a residential scholar. Thank you, Nora. I hope our advice and tips on applying for a residential scholarship at Gray's Inn were helpful. Thanks to Gray's Inn for their support and the podcast company for producing. Be sure to catch the next episode about life at Gray's Inn, where there will be more tips and advice for aspiring scholars and students. Look forward to catching up next time. Thanks for listening to the Raising the Bar podcast. Please follow, rate and review on your podcast app. And for more information, check us out on Twitter at AGI Students.